Morning. My name is Eric Williams. Glad to be with you this morning. I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, don't worry, the middle school and high schoolers are in good hands this morning upstairs. We've started doing a service for them, not only at 9.30, but at 11, so almost every Sunday of the month, we'll be meeting right alongside you guys. But the first Sunday of every month, we'll be in here with you, making noise for Jesus. So glad to be with you. Uh, If you need a Bible, put up your hand. Our ushers will hopefully hand you one, pass it down the row. And we'll get you one, but uh, while we're talking about it, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130. Bible's a big book, but some parts stick out better than others, or more, more often than others. And one of them, for me, that sticks out is from Paul's letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, he wrote this, All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I bring this up because as we approach the Bible this morning, my prayer is that we would have open ears, open hearts, as the Holy Spirit helps us figure out what's true, helps us realize where our lives may be off track, and also equips you for the mission of God. I think that's something we can't ignore, that God wants to use his redeemed people to accomplish kingdom work. If you're a believer, God wants to use you for kingdom work. But to to do this, to begin doing this, he needs to transform us, to transform every part of our lives, even the parts we thought were pretty good, the parts that we know aren't good, and God will even transform and make use of our pain. Now, many Bible scholars believe that these 15 songs of ascent were sung by the Jews as they would travel up to Jerusalem three times a year for their festivals. And each one of these songs is kind of like a little treasure box of truth, kind of meant to get stuck in your head. They're meant to get stuck in your heart as well, so that the gaze of your life would be turned toward what is ultimate, or better said, turned to who is ultimate that we could find true and real lasting life there. So as we look at Psalm 130, I want to talk quickly about the phrase rock bottom. We hear it often in the realm of addiction, as a person who's in their addiction has no way to to make it worse, nowhere to go further. They've bottomed it out. We might even hear it in regards to anxiety or in, in regards to depression, as someone feels that the floor of their life has fallen out beneath them and they're drowning in a place that just can't get worse. Might hear the phrase rock bottom when it comes to someone losing a child, losing a spouse, and having to deal with the pain, the anger, the hopelessness, the loneliness. And it seems like there's no way it could get worse. And in ironically speaking, even hearing the good news of Jesus, that he'll forgive your sin, that can strangely bring people down into the depths. Because here's why. Even when you say yes to following Christ, you say yes to the forgiveness of sins, even in that glorious exchange of a sinless life, For our sinful life, even that beautiful gift can at first bring us to the depths. Because when the Holy Spirit first gives us eyes to see our lives for what it truly is, it can shake us. Because suddenly we're way dirtier 
and darker than we were willing to admit before. To borrow from the list Paul gave the Colossian church, there was a point in our lives before we began to follow Christ when we were okay with things that aren't okay. Paul's list included sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. And when we see all those things in our own lives and then try to make sense that Christ has paid for it, it can temporarily take us to the depths until the gospel takes a deeper root in our heart. So for some new Christians following Christ those first couple months are done so with a type of depression that results from seeing the bare truth of their sinful life and they feel undone and they feel like they're at rock bottom, like it can't get any worse. I'm not much of a football fan, but I am surrounded by people that are. And uh, one of my friends told me about a college football coach, a head coach who was looking for a new assistant coach who could be in charge of recruiting new players. The, the assistant coach in charge of recruiting was named Mike, and he was having a strategy meeting with the head coach to talk about recruiting. And so the coach sat him down and said, okay, Mike, when you recruit, there's a certain kind of player you got to look for. You got to look for the kind of player that stays down. And Mike said, well, Coach, we don't want that kind of player, do we? And the coach said, no, we don't want that, we don't want that kind of player. We, we want another kind of player. You knock him down, and he gets back up. You knock him down, and he stays down. Mike said, Coach, do we want that kind of player? Coach said, no, we do not want that kind of player. And he said, Mike, look, there's another kind of player. When you knock him down, he gets back up. You knock him down, and he gets back up. You knock him down, and he gets back up. And no matter how many times you knock him down, he gets back up. And Mike said, Coach, is that the guy we want, right? And the head coach said, no, we don't want him either. We want to find the guy who's knocking everybody down. <laughs> so no matter who you are, you may be the person who's been knocked down again and again and again. You may be the person who got knocked down, but you're back up, but you're feeling like it's going to be a short time on your feet. Or maybe you're the person who, out of the hurt and anger in your life, you're knocking everybody else down. No matter what, none of us wants to be in that place, down, feeling low, feeling like we're unworthy. Well, we are, but feeling it. To be at our lowest, to be in the depths. There was a time our little girl was, said something mean to her little brother, and she feels her guilt very powerfully. And so uh, a mom or dad, I don't forget who it was, said something to her, called her out, and she immediately was overwhelmed with her guilt. And she ran to her room, and we didn't see her for a while, finally went in there, and she had found her own personal depth under the bed. And she wouldn't come out for 30 minutes, no matter what we said. I thought it was interesting that she puts herself in her own depths when she's feeling that way. So whether you're here today, you've been a veteran Christ follower, or you've been following him just a little bit of time, or maybe you're still asking questions about Christ. No matter what, all of us either have or we will spend time in the rock bottom of our lives, in the depths of despair. But maybe your life is pretty good and comfortable, and you don't feel like you're at the depths. Maybe it's not your personal life that's in the depths. Maybe you just watch the news. And you think, 
I thought it couldn't get worse, but here it is. It's worse. You know, for those of you who remember what life was like in our political atmosphere in the 70s, you thought it can never get worse than this. But the bottom keeps falling out, doesn't it? And we go, where are you, Lord? What are you doing? So maybe if it's not you, personally, you might be looking at this through third-party eyes. But this is the beginning scene of Psalm 130, a place the psalmist calls the depths. Let's read it. Out of the depths I call to you, Yahweh. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Yahweh, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. So this passage is clearly about redemption. It's about being ransomed out of the depth of our sin. And in fact, the Bible is a whole book about redemption. It's not just about history or science or anthropology. It's a book about salvation and rescue that's available for every human. But redemption has a two-part meaning. One part is about being rescued, or being a price paid for a ransom. So we're rescued from the consequence and power of sin by the price Jesus paid on the cross. And the other part is about freedom. Freedom to live out a mended relationship to God and a new life of love that's fueled by sacrifice, by the sacrifice Christ paid for us. So when we surrender to Christ, the price he's paid as a ransom for our sinful life is paid in full. We're debt-free to God. And even while we're redeemed from our debt, we're also redeemed to new life with God himself. This is good news for those who are in the depths. In these first couple verses, verses 1 to 4, we see that even while you're in the depths, that God is listening to our cry. Even while we're in the depths, God is listening to our cry. David wrote in Psalm 28, May the Lord be praised for he has heard the sound of my pleading. This should really put a warm blanket around your heart no matter where you stand with God. Because even if until this very day you've been rejecting God, even now he would call you to him to get forgiveness in Christ. He wants to listen to your struggle, to help heal you where you're broken. If you've fallen in sin and you're a believer, Christ would call you back with gentleness knowing that your circumstances might not change. It's a little bit simplistic, but think about this. If you're drowning, the one thing you want more than anything is what? To not be drowning, to get air, right? I wish I could be anywhere but right here. And isn't that the feeling we face when we're in these circumstances of life, when we're looking around and we wish we could be anywhere else, but we can't? And What do we do? One of the things we need to be reminded of is that our circumstances might not change. But God is with us in our circumstances and he's listening to us. If you're shouting in anger at God, that's a different story, true. But when we cry out to God, that's an act of humility. In fact, pleading with God might be a way to, to show our need of him. And we can know that no matter who we are, 
when we cry out to God and surrender, he will listen to us and he will love us, even though we deserve condemnation. There's a saying that at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross is level ground, meaning there's no one better than anyone else before God. And that's what we read in verse 3. God, if you considered sins, who could stand? And the assumed answer to that question is no one. No one can stand before a righteous, holy God. But even though no one can stand before their, on their own before God, we read in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. None of us can stand on our own before God. But God offers us forgiveness so that we can stand in righteousness before him. We should be grateful that God listens to us in our pain and offers us forgiveness. And we should respond to this gift of forgiveness by listening and obeying God. Listen to what the psalmist said in chapter 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. In 2 Corinthians 7, we read, Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, completing our sanctification in the fear of the Lord. When we truly recognize where we've been brought from, from the depths into redemption, it will transform how we listen. In verse 5 and 6, we're shown that when we're rescued from the depths, God reprograms our heart to have a longing for Him and His Word. Verse 5, I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in His Word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. That phrase is not put in there twice on accident. But longing for God's word is a mark of a mature disciple in Christ. And longing is something that I needn't describe. We all know what it is to long. But when you become redeemed, when you're pulled from the depths, something changes. The Bible becomes the primary framework for the life of a redeemed person. And the source that their new longings come from and point to. It will reshape your desires. It will give you new spiritual taste buds. Jesus said in John 4, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. When we're redeemed, we get new taste buds. And one major taste we're going to crave is a redeemed life in God's word. First Peter 2, we read, Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Redeemed people get new desires, a new longing for something they vitally need. And it's true. It is really difficult to behave a certain way when you don't feel like it. Okay? I get that. But all the people who are still married in this room know that behavior is more important than feeling. Right? John Piper commented on this verse in 1 Peter, and he said this, If you feel stuck because you don't have the kind of spiritual desires that you should, this text says you don't need to be stuck. It says get them. Get the desires you don't have. 
So if you don't desire spiritual milk, start desiring it. This works with marriage counseling. This works in dieting. This works in following Christ, where you give yourself a new set of behaviors that resets a trajectory for your life towards a new place. And as we long for and take in God's word, we're going to be reshaped more and more like the one who redeemed us, the one who pulled us from the depths. It comes from our gut. It comes from the Holy Spirit. He puts it inside of you. And this metaphor in verse 6 that was repeated twice of this night watchman waiting for the morning, it's an easy illustration for almost anyone in this room about what it's like to really, really want morning to come. If you're an insomniac, you have two desires. I really, really want to fall asleep, or I really, really wish the sun would come up. And you want those things really badly. <laughs> Uh, or if you, plenty of people in here have experienced a, a mom who's nursing. And there's, a nursing mom knows probably better than anyone how bad you long to go to sleep. Or how bad you want the sun to, sun to come up. But the way we've been redeemed, if you know Christ, it should give you a longing even greater than that. Even greater for the Lord and his word that it would transform you. It'll give you new desires. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse seven shows us that when we're rescued from the depths, we begin a new habit of latching onto the Lord as we place our hope in him again and again. Verse seven, Israel, put your hope in the Lord for there's faithful love with the Lord and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its sins. If you've read the Old Testament even once, you've probably been struck with what looks like a really sick cycle where God's people, Israel, say, we'll be faithful to you. And then they abandon him. They turn to other gods. They worship other things. Then they realize it's a bad idea and they come back to him. And Israel's story shows us something, that when we turn away from God and we turn our worship to an ability we have, a job we have, a possession, a, a talent, any object in this world, we realize that nothing can fulfill the longings of our heart the way God can. Only God can satisfy us. So the question I'm wondering is, why did Israel and why do we continue in this sickening cycle of walking away from the Lord instead of latching onto him? In the book Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller wrote this to answer that question. The truth is, we've made lesser gods of these good things, gods that can't give us what we really need. There's only one God who can wholly satisfy our cravings. Our culture is overrun with temptation, and it causes us to want to put our hope in things that are temporary, that don't last. Keller describes that desire this way. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. If I have that, I know I'll have value and I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. So what hope should redeemed people latch onto? What hope should redeemed people worship? The prophet in Lamentations wrote in chapter 3, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. 
The prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 40, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And in Romans 5, Paul wrote, therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. A fully devoted follower of Christ has a daily habit of latching, relatching, and relatching their hope onto the most solid anchor that there is. While at the same time, untying or detaching their temporary hopes from anchors that aren't anchors at all. Untying yourself from a, an unsecure anchor. But when we hope in Christ, when we latch on to Christ, that is an anchorage that will hold in any storm. Lastly, in Psalm 131, we see that when we're rescued from the depths, it isn't done remotely using a drone. It's not impersonal. It's costly. Our redemption comes to us intimately and personally in Jesus Christ, and it pulls us closer than you can imagine, allowing us to go from the depths of sin and despair all the way to where we're leaning on the chest of Christ, like a child with its mother. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't get involved with things too great or too difficult for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a little weaned child with its mother. I am like a little child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. A nursing child, precious little ones, generally speaking, don't think about what they need. They're not stressing about tomorrow. They're not wondering if they're accepted. They're not wondering if they're going to be alone. They are entirely content. All their needs are met, and they're bonding closely with one who gave them life. That's an example for us. Oswald Chambers, in his daily devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, if you're a reader of that, every January, January 7th, you will read this entry. True friendship is rare on earth. It means identifying with someone in thought, heart, and spirit. The whole experience of life is designed to enable us to enter into this closest relationship with Jesus Christ. We receive his blessings and know his word, but do we really know him? Philip, the disciple, was with Jesus for a long time. And yet we find Jesus asking Philip in John 14, have I been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? See, whether you're here today as a veteran disciple of Christ or a new follower of Christ, maybe you are still asking questions and haven't decided to follow him, you can press in closer to Christ and know him today. And as you place your hope, as you latch on to Christ, you can move from the depths, to, from the depths of despair to the chests of Christ. So I told you about my daughter who hides under the bed. Well, my son has a very different personality. He doesn't feel his guilt or shame as readily. And while he's really a generally a great kid, regardless of his behavior the day before, his routine is often to find the parent who's still in bed when he gets up, 
to pull back the covers, covers, crawl in, spoon himself in, and cover, cover himself back up. And I thought, he thinks that's totally okay. He thinks he can just walk in, spoon himself in, get totally comfortable, nuzzle in, and that's just normal to him. And it is, right? Because he's family. He's, he's a son. He's been, he, he, is, he is locked in. And that gives him a new way of thinking, and that's how it should affect our thinking as believers, that we are in Christ. We can lean on his chest. The gospel is the good news that the never-ending joy of Jesus Christ can be ours for free and forever. And as a result of putting our trust in the reality of Christ's death, our sins can be forgiven. And that by Christ's resurrection, we can also have hope for today and eternity, even if our circumstances aren't changing. So my prayer is that you would lean in tight to Christ. That you would allow him to pull you out of the depths or stay with you in it and help you tread water. To pull you from the place where you're knocked down or to help you make sense of our world crashing down and bring you close to his chest as you place your hope in him again and again and again and as you begin to flourish in new life and help bring others out of the depths or to sit with them in it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you offer to redeem us, to buy us back, to be condemned in our place, to offer us forgiveness. Thank you for the work you're doing at South Shores, and I pray that more and more people would fill this room and these, these buildings and this campus as they come out of the depths and find forgiveness in you and find their life healed and whole. I pray we would be people who latch on to you, Lord, and who listen to you and who, who treat others differently because of you. Would the transformational news of the gospel not only transform us, but be used in us that we could help see others transformed. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your comfort. In Jesus' name, amen.